Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to an elusive edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I say elusive because it's been a while since I've recorded an edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I will explain why. I am glad to have you along. I appreciate your time listening to the podcast. I really appreciate those of you who have emailed and who have tweeted and reached out to me on social media saying, hey, hey, where's the podcast? When's the next one? Um, we'll get into that momentarily as to why it's been a while. There's a, a physical reason and a, a bit of an emotional, spiritual reason. And maybe you can help me reconcile those as we go forward. But I'm glad to be with you in the aftermath of an Ohio State basketball victory last night against Minnesota. Although, man, the first half wasn't much to write home about. Even though Chris Holtman took issue with uh, me primarily for saying that the first half was a snooze fest and not a very impressive performance, uh, which it was not. But uh, he said that's because, you know, it's the Big Ten and it's hard to win games big in the Big <coughs> Excuse me. Hard to win games big in the Big Ten. Um, but we'll get into all that. The cough is the reason why I haven't done a podcast in a while because I have been afflicted with this a very bothersome malady that when I talk, uh, I often literally talk myself into coughing, which I don't want to subject you to, and it's not pleasant to listen to. So I will try to mute the mic or uh, edit the podcast to get the coughs out, but that's what's been happening to me. The other reason I will save for the end of the podcast, the faith portion of the podcast, because it is uh, related to faith reasons, and there's no reason to bore those of you who listen to this podcast for the sports aspect of the podcast with that part so let's dive right in and talk a little bit about Ohio State basketball they frustrate me this team does uh, they are a very experienced team yet uh, they have played like a team that is very young in that on the road they've not been very good they got a nice win Saturday night at Michigan but Michigan is not what Michigan was a year ago so I still await Ohio State winning a game on the road in the Big Ten at a team that has realistic chances of getting into the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament. That may not happen because their only two road games left are at Maryland, which they certainly don't fit that bill, and at Illinois, which they certainly do, but I have my doubts about Ohio State's ability to win at Illinois, as I would have my doubts about any team winning at Illinois because Illinois is really good, and Kofi Coburn is the kind of a player that's very difficult for anybody to stop. But there have been opportunities for Ohio State at Wisconsin, at Indiana, even at Purdue, although that was kind of a bonus opportunity, but I've discussed on a previous podcast why I think uh, they aired strategically at the end of the Purdue game. Last night against Minnesota, uh, they're down 25-23 to 23 at halftime. They have two assists in the first half, did not attempt a free throw, and had eight turnovers. This was not how I expected them to come out after winning at Michigan on Saturday, and maybe you can look at it uh, on the positive side, that well, they got to play three games in eight days. They got to play Iowa Saturday. They got to play Indiana Monday. Uh, if they sleepwalk through 20 minutes, uh, okay, so much the better. They save their legs for Monday night against Indiana. I don't think that's what it was. I just think they didn't play well. Minnesota didn't grab their attention. They were not mind on their business. And that is an issue if it rears its head in the NCAA tournament where when you give an inferior team the idea that it can play with you, guess what happens? They play with you. Need I refer back to 15-seeded Oral Roberts last year? Yes, I know. It's been a while since there was an Oral Roberts reference uh, in relation to Ohio State basketball, but that we do not want to repeat that. Whether Ohio State is a five-seed to start out, whether they are a four-seed, they are going to play a team 
much more capable of beating them than we thought Oral Roberts was capable of beating them last year, and Oral Roberts beat them. And so that's why they need to learn how to put away bad teams early and how they need to win tough games in hostile environments because if you're the higher seed in the NCAA tournament or the better seed, whatever you want to call it, the crowd is going to be against you if you are playing on a semi-neutral court. Now, Ohio State's not going to be up against a crowd disadvantage in round one if they play in Indianapolis, unless they play Butler or somebody like that. But this team's experience level should be such that it can handle these kinds of games better than it handled them last night. And I know Chris Holtman after the game said, eh, it's not a tale of two halves. Everybody in the Big Ten's good. Minnesota played Wisconsin close. The fact of the matter is, Minnesota's been down by 10 or more points at halftime four times this season. Sometimes by a lot, 15 points, 16 points. At home, no reason to give them belief. No, I never thought they were going to lose, but I just don't like the way they stewarded that game last night. And it makes me wonder, if they're not paying attention Saturday afternoon against Iowa, I will run out to a 15-point lead on them, and it'll be a very tall task getting back into that game. And, of course, you know how much my inner passion burns to defeat Indiana basketball on Monday night. So uh, let's get our uh, mind on our business, fellas, and let's take care of business early, not in the middle, and definitely not late. To refer back to the Michigan game just briefly, Chris Holtman afterward you know, made this impassioned plea for why is E.J. Liddell not a Big Ten MVP candidate. He's not a Big Ten MVP candidate because teams ahead of you in the conference have guys that are gaining more attention. Kofi Coburn leads the league in one or two in scoring and rebounding. He's a mammoth individual. He has name recognition across the conference, as does E.J. Liddell. Johnny Johnson at Wisconsin is having a phenomenal year. Badgers are ahead of or right with the Buckeyes in the standings. Jaden Ivey is winning a game at the last flip of the clock every single time you turn around, and Purdue is rated much higher than Ohio State. That's why E.J. Liddell is not mentioned. If you want to win the league, if you want to dominate in games that help you win the league, okay. E.J.'s had a great year at this point in time. He's probably not a first-team All-American. And he's probably not a Big Ten MVP winner. He's a candidate, but he's not a winner. And, you know, I'm of the opinion right now that I'm dubious that E.J. Liddell is an NBA player, that is a, that he is a drafted player. Two-round draft. But I temper my skepticism over the fact that if you just told me Jay Sean Tate would ever be an NBA player or Dwayne Washington, I'd have said, you're nuts, you're nuts. Maybe Dwayne Washington will get a hanger-on 10-day contract, might shoot himself into the league. He got the two-way contract, but he's played his way into the league, and Dwayne Washington's now going to have to play his way out of the league. So the clear, obvious takeaway from that is, I don't know what an NBA player looks like, but E.J. Liddell looks like a tweener to me. I don't see him having the skills with the ball in his hand, to be a three in the NBA, and he'd be a very undersized four. So when you look at the Cavs, I mean, they got guys way bigger than E.J. Liddell who are perimeter players, and I don't watch a ton of Cavs basketball, but I just that's why I question E.J. Liddell. Now look, is he going to come back? No, he's not going to come back. Should he come back? I think he should, but it's not my decision to make. In the name, image, and likeness era, it makes more sense for E.J. Liddell to come back next year. I know uh, my guy Rick Reichert at Reichert Ford has uh, hooked E.J. up 
with a very nice ride as he has hooked up Jackson Smith and Jigba and I think Michi Johnson with very nice rides. So being a college athlete now is a lot nicer for these guys than it used to be when they were probably scraping their money together to buy a pizza on the weekend. That's not the case anymore. So I don't think EJ's existence stinks in Columbus, Ohio. He could put his name down in the annals of all-time probably top 10 scorers in Ohio State history. Does that mean anything to him? Not as much as a bunch of money in his pocket, but he'll make the same money uh, in Europe next year that he'll make this year. And I just don't think the college experience stinks. And with the freshman class they have coming in next year and some of the guys that they're going to have back next year, uh, like Zed Key, like Gene Brown, uh, like Michi Johnson, like Malachi Branham, I mean, they could be an ultra exceptional team next year if EJ Liddell comes back. It's not EJ's responsibility to come back. I liken this a little bit to when Jim Jackson left Ohio State and he was a class behind Mark Baker, Jamal Brown, and um, Chris Gent. And Jimmy left, and Jimmy was ready to go, and he was a top-five pick. But had Jimmy come back, Randy Ayers might have coached a lot longer at Ohio State because Jimmy's presence would have taken a lot of pressure off younger guys on those teams who had to do a lot more because he was gone. Now, that's not to say that Chris Holtman next year will be in danger of having a bad year and getting fired. That won't happen, I don't think, because they have a lot of talented freshmen coming in. They'll still have some nice veterans. But if EJ comes back, they're a top-five team next year to start the season. So it just matters. What is EJ Liddell's desire if he doesn't get to the second weekend of the tournament this year? And I know a lot of you are sitting there going, what do you mean if they don't get to the second weekend of the tournament this year? Hey, they're ranked 18th, ladies and gentlemen. That's right on the cusp of 16 which is how many teams are in the, duh, Sweet 16. So I don't think they're a lock to get to the Sweet 16. And I don't mean that as a knock on Holtman or a knock on the team. I just say that to be realistic. I don't think they're a lock to get to the Sweet 16, not playing the way they are right now. And let's give them uh, some benefit of the doubt here. They were counting on Justice Suing being a big part of this team. They were counting on Seth Towns helping this team. They were not counting on... Michi Johnson getting hurt in the middle of the year. They were not counting on um, Eugene Brown coming on and then having to sit down with a concussion. So they've had a lot of in and out guys in the lineup. And you say, well, they didn't lose EJ Liddell and lose Malachi. They have had their momentum disrupted as much as any team in the Big Ten. And so I would cut them some slack in that regard. Maybe they'll be peaking at the time of the NCAA tournament. Um, that would be nice, and I would love to see him get into the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. And if they do that, then EJ is definitely gone. I want to shout out my friends at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. They are, of course, the longest-running sponsor on the We Tackle Life podcast. Love Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. You'll love them, too, and you'll pay less than the uh, typical customer will pay at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com because all you need to do is use the promo code WETACKLE in all caps. We tackle. Maybe We Tackle Life. Try all three. We Tackle Life in all caps will get 15% discount. They get their coffee from growers around the world. Those growers pump that money into their local economy. It's a great way for you to be ministry-minded, even if you're not you know, really into ministry efforts in impoverished countries like Indonesia, Thailand, Ethiopia. You get the great coffee. You get it at a discount. That's what's in it for you, at minimum, when you buy light, medium, dark roast, K-cups, whole bean, however you want it. 
HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Go on their website. Check them out. I think you'll fall in love. Everybody loves their coffee. It is awesome. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. All right, a little tardy on the thoughts on the Super Bowl, but I want to give you some thoughts on the Super Bowl. Those of you who follow me on Twitter probably think I was off my rocker when I tweeted uh, either after the game or the day after the game that I've just lost my belief that these games are unimpacted by officiating. I didn't mean by that that the games are thrown purposely by officiating. But prior to watching the Super Bowl on Sunday, I was watching Maryland and Purdue. Maryland had a big lead. Purdue comes roaring back. Purdue screws up the clock. Maryland gets a second possession at the end of the game right after they had scored to pull uh, within one. And Maryland's taking the ball out with about eight seconds to go. They throw the ball in. Their guy goes to the rack. Travion Williams fouls him. A hundred times out of a hundred, he fouls him. He hits him on the elbow of his shooting arm going up. Clearly, not unobstructed, nothing, no call. Now, why is that a no call? Is that because I'm saying the official threw the game? No, but here's why. You're at Purdue. You don't want to get in the way of the game. You don't want to make the call that loses the game. So you let him get away with something you'd never let him get away with early in the game. Is he afraid of the crowd? Maybe. Is he afraid of Matt Painter because Painter's mad that they kind of made a clock malfunction and caused the Purdue kid when he was inbounding it to travel and he didn't hold his position like they told him to hold his position? For whatever reason, is he under pressure because, oh man, if Purdue loses, the Big Ten looks bad because its top-ranked team lost to lowly Maryland. I'm saying humans officiate. Humans have emotions, humans have fears, humans have grudges, humans have aversion to what some idiot in the first row yelled at them during the game. And to think that in an emotionally hot environment, like a basketball arena full of impassioned fans, screaming coaches, pressures of conference reputation and things like that, For an official to totally divorce himself from that and have no amount of impact from any of that weighing in on his decision, I'm telling you right now, I'm done believing that that's the case. I'm done believing that that's the case because now we get to the Super Bowl and we get to the T. Higgins touchdown early in the second half. And the officials clearly know the rest of the game because you know uh, Jalen Ramsey and the Rams coaches were in their ear the whole time. Hey, ref, you blew that call. T. Higgins grabbed my face mask. Why do you think I went flying? The Bengals are going to win this game because you gave the Bengals a free touchdown. They're in their ear the whole time. The officials don't want that to be the story of the game. The officials, who knows? Are they hearing whatever they're hearing from the stands, whatever they're hearing from players? Do they contemplate an offseason? Oh, my goodness, I'm the guy who missed the call on Jalen Ramsey, and that's going to go down in history, and la, 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 la. And I'm not saying they thought, okay, we got to cook this so the Rams win. I'm saying at the end of the game on a bang-bang play with Logan Wilson, they have a hard time believing in that scenario with the pressure in their mind that Logan Wilson could make a clean play on Cooper Cup on third and goal from the four-yard line, which he did. That was a totally clean play. And, And it also explains what I'm talking about with this pressure circulating around the officials why they ignored not one, but two blatant illegal procedure calls on the Rams on that drive. Oh, the off ta- the, la- the tackles jumped. 
In fact, they even jumped egregiously on that particular play. They shouldn't have even had to rule on Logan Wilson had they called the illegal procedure on the Rams. It's third and goal at the nine, and that's a penalty. They didn't call it. They let the Rams get away with it early in the drive. They let the Rams get away with it late in the drive. And then they penalized Logan Wilson for probably what would have been the play of his life. Now, the Rams might have scored on fourth and goal. They might have. But they gave him a free set of downs at the two, and you knew right then the Rams were going to score. So, And also, the ridiculous call in the back of the end zone, hitting a guy in the head. Oh, he hit him too hard. I hate the NFL, he hit him too hard penalties. Oh, blow to the head. So what are you supposed to do? The only place I can hit this guy is in the head. I guess I should just let him catch the game-winning touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. I didn't want to hit him in the head, coach. I didn't want to hit him in the head, Mike Brown. Stupid. I'm learning to loathe NFL football, and I'm really loathing the human impact on that officials have on games. So I was not a fan of how the Super Bowl ended because the officials called it one way for 58 minutes and 30 seconds and called it another way for the last 90 seconds, and that stinks. You can't expect officials, uh, you can't expect players to know how to react to that in the moment. <clears throat> Let me say one other aspect of Super Bowl 56 that I think Zach Taylor the Bengals head coach, who just got a contract extension, by the way, congratulations to him, that Zach Taylor got a total pass on going for it at midfield on the first possession of the game on fourth down. Um, bad idea. Give the Rams a short field uh, and a touchdown. I thought that was a dumb decision by Zach Taylor and also a dumb decision not to have Joe Mixon in the game for the fourth and shorts that – the Bengals did not exactly excel on and, in fact, lost the game because of They needed one more first down and maybe eight more yards to give Evan McPherson a reasonable chance to tie that game because he was kicking field goals of 60-plus yards in the pregame. The game-winning, the, the, the end of the game where they had fourth and one, that would have been about a 70-yard field goal, so they can't try that. But they just needed to get that first down and then, you know, see where you are. But uh, I thought they'd get into field goal range there. I really feel bad for Joe Burrow. Uh, I've come to like Joe Burrow because he's a gamer. He's a player. Is he cocky? Is he confident? Sure he is. All great quarterbacks are. And the Bengals have a great quarterback. The Bengals have a guy they believe in. The Browns do not. The Steelers now do not with Ben Roethlisberger retiring. And I don't know if the Ravens do or not because Lamar Jackson, as I've said before, not sustainable when your game is speed and running and all that, injuries happen to quarterbacks, and we saw Lamar Jackson go through some of that last season. So those are my thoughts on the Super Bowl. Um, besides the fact that I think Chris Collinsworth ham and egged it at the end and chose to be a company man and not take an opinion on the penalty on Logan Wilson, uh, that's why you're there, Collinsworth. Like, do your job. And if you're not going to do your job, if you're just going to be a shill for NBC, you're not the first one uh, who's punted in that situation, but it made you look bad and uh, I think compromised your reputation as an analyst. All right, another uh, mention of a very loyal sponsor of the We Tackle Life podcast, uh, my friends at Willis Spangler Starling, great attorney firm. They do an awesome job. Their firm has grown since we first started talking about them. I'm really glad of that because I love putting good people in touch with people who need their services. That's why I talk about Hemisphere. That's why I talk about my friends at the health insurance broker, JUI, with an attorney, man, if you have a bad one, 
and I've had bad ones before, you can really get uh, screwed over. You can have a good case. It can be uh, poorly done. You can uh, be be ill-advised. You can pay a lot of money without getting satisfaction. All those things have happened to me. But that was all before I knew about Willis Spangler Starling. They've done phenomenal work on my behalf. And on behalf of friends of mine who I've sent to them on a budget, and they have made it work. They have a heart for serving people. They use their gifts to serve people. That is what I think we're all called to do. Willis Spangler Starling is located on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard, just a little bit north of the Mill Run area. Will's estate planning, probate, personal injury, um, employment law, Social Security disability, all the big ones. Willis Spangler Starling does a great job. Check them out. Check them out. Willis Spangler Starling is online at willisattorneys.com. Willisattorneys.com. So in the faith portion of the podcast, I want to explain partially why there haven't been We Tackle Life podcasts lately and talk a little bit about the future of the podcast. Some of you know that I now do a radio show on 98.9 The Answer in Columbus, which is a news talk station. And I enjoy the news talk format because I believe for the first time in my professional life, my work has weight. My work has impact. My work has uh, worth. Not because I'm going to change the world, but because I have the capacity to inform people about things that matter. Uh, I know sports matters. It's good for entertainment. It's good for a distraction. That has a useful purpose. I've done it. I will continue to do it some here on the podcast. But I've been checking myself to ask if my investment of time in continuing to talk about sports is really worth the effort because my passions now are more inclined toward what I see as a complete abandonment of God and the things of God in our culture. Maybe not by you, because if you're listening to this portion of the podcast, faith matters to you and and you are open to listening to my perspective on faith, which I appreciate. But as I view my own daughters, their maturation, as I view kids their age struggle with some of the things kids struggle with, and as I evaluate my own passions and things I see happening in our culture, I wonder whether I should be spending any time at all talking about football, basketball, baseball, when... I think our kids are being fed ideas and ideology that's very damaging to them. Um, This is the faith portion of the podcast, so it's hard for me to talk about this without talking about current events, but it is being looked upon here. Trust me, I'll get to it through a faith prism. For instance, for instance, I'm very blessed to have the wife that I have. For uh, a significant period of my professional life, I've had to be an absentee dad with travel and with a job that took me uh, away from our physical home. My daughters have grown up with no apparent um, side effects of that, which I can only attribute to um, the divine hand of God and my wife's wisdom uh, being a parent and a single parent for a while. Um, So my kids don't have the rebellious side that some kids do. They don't have the curious side that some kids do about their sexuality and about those kinds of things. 
They're very grounded in their faith, and I'm just so eternally grateful for that. But some kids are not as grounded, not as certain in that regard. And we are in an era where schools are increasingly more willing to go into areas that I think only parents should go. I don't think our schools should be talking about uh, gender dysphoria because I don't believe kids are getting a true and accurate picture there. And this is my passion, to protect kids from people who would either feed them things that they may genuinely believe that I believe are harmful for kids or who may have more nefarious purposes in trying to program those kids to take advantage of them later or to win them to their side for some kind of ideological argument. Let me frame this through a faith prism. I am not, I repeat, not critical, hateful toward the individual transgender youth. If a child is is confused about their sexuality, they're born a boy, they're born a girl, they think they should be the opposite of that. I feel tremendous compassion for that young person. But they are operating in error because I believe in a sovereign, authoritative God. It would make no sense to worship a God that makes mistakes in the creation of a young person. That God is not an all-knowing, sovereign, authoritative God. So to embrace the transgender ideology is to embrace the idea that God makes mistakes. I cannot, as a believer in the sovereign authority of God, ever doubt that God has a purpose and a plan and uniquely gifts every single person born in this world. The Bible tells me that he knows us before we were formed in our mother's womb, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are his workmanship, And so my rejection of transgender ideology is a faith-based rejection of it. And I would say to you, if you are a dad, husband, mom, wife, who purports to place God first in your life, you cannot embrace the transgender ideology and also be an authentic Christian. I'll be more than happy to engage with any of you on this uh, via email. We tackle life at gmail.com. But I do not think there's a one ounce, one inch of wiggle room on this. And I have such a burden on my heart for our country and for the youth of our country, which is to say the future of our country, as they are being, in my opinion, lied to programmed and groomed for a life of pain, a life of lies, a life of misery by those who would tell them that they are correct to believe that though they have a male or female biology, they are in fact the opposite sex. There are and have been since the beginning of time two sexes. Men, women, boys, girls. Gender is a 
created category that is non-existent. There are not 27 genders, 270 genders, 6 billion genders. There are two sexes. That is my position and always will be my position. And if that cancels me from you listening, that's fine. That's your prerogative. But this is the line in the sand that we as Christians must defend. The sovereignty and authority of an all-knowing, perfect God. And so that's not very inspiring for many of you who are looking for me to talk about how you can be forgiven of your sins through the grace of Jesus Christ at the cross. I talk about that a lot. That's the foundation on which my hope is built. It's the foundation upon which my faith is built. It is the reality that I will uh, defend as much as I would tell you that the sky is blue and the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. I'm that certain of it. But I am also servant. I am also certain that Jesus said, let the little children come unto me and do not hinder them. And I cannot exist in a world where people of faith sit back and do nothing to protect the youth of our country while we claim to love Jesus because we're afraid that people will think we're hateful or horrible because we say that you're a boy, you're a girl. The best analysis of this that I can give you is that we'd never tell a child suffering with bulimia or anorexia, you know, you're right, you are fat. You are horrendously fat. You should lose weight. We would never say that. They understand in their minds that they are heavy, fat, overweight, ugly, whatever. That is a lie. They have a disconnect between their physical reality and their mental recognition. The same disconnect exists with those who are gripped in the lie of gender dysphoria. And people who would further that lie are are evil people. They are demonic. They are satanic agents. They are not compassionate. At the very least, at the very least, they are misguided. I know this is not what you expect in the faith portion of the podcast, but this is a passion of mine because we cannot stand idly by while our children are manipulated and harmed in this way. We cannot. So with that, <clears throat> I will uh, bid you a further uh, bid you adieu. Thank you for your time today. Um, I uh, do appreciate you guys listening. I uh, would love your feedback on this podcast. I will uh, try to do this much more regularly. And um, I hesitated to do this because I just felt like this was something that you guys wouldn't like. And I felt a burden from God saying, so what if people don't like it? It needs to be said. So I said it. That's how I believe. That's what I believe. And I will staunchly defend it with every fiber of my being. Hope you have a great day. I'll talk to you again soon here on the We Tackle Life podcast.